Well, I bring you affectionate greetings from Grace Covenant Church. Uh, we are so pleased to hear that you have uh, found a new pastor, and we are uh, looking forward to your continued uh, growth, and, and we are uh, very thankful. I'm thankful to be here to open God's word to you today. If you'd open your Bibles, today's text is Philippians 4, verse 6. In this text, I believe Paul certainly had in mind the passage in Matthew that we read when he writes to the Philippians and says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Please pray with me. Dear God in heaven, we acknowledge that you are God and there is no other. We bow before you in our hearts and in our minds. We lift you up. We extol you. We think of your great power and also your great love for which you have displayed and poured out upon your people. In fact, your love and goodness is displayed to all and everyone benefits from it. And yet you have so loved those whom you have set your heart upon that you sent your only begotten son to be their life and their atoning death. We pray, O oh God, that you would be with me as I attempt to preach your word, that your Holy Spirit would speak through me as a jar of clay. I pray, Lord, that you would do the work that only you can do. And we ask God for those who are not here today because of illness, that you would comfort them, that you would heal them. We pray, Lord, for travel safeties for Pastor Hughes and his family. We pray, Lord, that you would be with those who are weary, those who are downcast, that you would lift them up. We pray, Lord, for uh, those who have not come to Jesus Christ as their Savior, that they would come this day, bow their knee to him as Lord, cast themselves upon his mercy. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. There is a uh, there's a humorous sketch about a psychologist and a uh, a lady who comes to him. Uh, the doctor says, first of all, I, I only charge you for five minutes. I find that that is really the only time that it takes for me to treat my patients. And she said, okay. And she got out a pen and paper to take notes. And he says, you, you won't need that. You won't need to write this down. It's very simple. He says, so tell me what the problem is. And uh, she says, well, uh, doctor, uh, I'm afraid of being buried in a box. And he says, what? Yes, really. He said, well, has anyone ever tried to bury you in a box? And she says, well, no but I start thinking about it and I become very nervous and afraid. Well, do you uh, have a lot of boxes around? She says, no. 
but I just start thinking about it and I get really upset, it's unbearable, I can't live with it. And he says, well listen, the, the solution is very easy, I'm gonna give you two words and I want you to incorporate these two words into your life and I, I'm sure you'll find that it will change your whole life. And she says, okay, what is it? Stop it! Just stop it. Well, this is what Paul's words here kind of strike me as when he says, be anxious for nothing. On the authority of Jesus Christ, he announces a course of action and thinking that seems impossible. Earlier in the book, there was a command to rejoice always. That's challenging. It's a pleasant command, it's a joyful command, uh, but how to rejoice in bad situations, that's, that's not easy, but this command, be anxious for nothing, seems impossible. And yet it is, in this one sentence, the apostle identifies a great weakness in human character, and he announces also uh, a divine solution. And through the apostle Paul, God is expressing his desire, even his command, that in all situations you trust in the good providence of God through thankful prayer. And our text has two points, and they are the breach of anxiety, the breach of anxiety, and the second is the balm of thankful prayer, the balm of thankful prayer. First, the, the breach of anxiety. Anxiety is a breach in trusting God. Uh, there can be and often is an error and an offense in anxiety that masquerades as genuine concern. First, what is anxiety? Uh, I like the uh, Webster 1828 uh, definition of almost everything. It's uh, very uh, accurate, often we'll even turn to scripture to explain things. It says here, concern, respecting some event, future or uncertain, which disturbs the mind and keeps it in a state of painful uneasiness. It expresses more than uneasiness or disturbance and even more than trouble. It usually springs from fear or, desire or serious apprehension of evil and involves a suspense respecting an event and often a perplexity of mind to know how to shape our conduct. The King James Version uses the word careful, but it doesn't mean to be cautious or read the directions. It says be careful for nothing, and what it means is not to be burdened uh, with uh, care and sick with worry. And the command that Paul gives us not to be anxious is a command to have no fear. Uh, there is a lot of fear and uncertainty in the world today. And uh, if you were looking at an excruciating uh, trial, if tomorrow you had to go in for surgery or maybe a final exam, you would have some pretty strong feelings about it. Uh, anxiety and fear are uh, natural reactions to events and circumstances that are uncertain. So let's first consider what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that all emotions of fear and concern are wrong. Uh, we all 
face various crises, even you little children, you feel uh, nervous sometimes about a situation. You might be a little bit scared. You might uh, feel your heart start to pick up and your breath start to uh, become rapid and you're not sure what's going to happen. Well, these words are for you as well. And adults come up against all kinds of difficult burdens, uh, illnesses, accidents, marital problems, uh, often with no warning, situations that warrant your concern. And God has made us so that those things grip our mind and marshal our energy so that we can deal with it. So it's not helpful just to say to the anxious or fearful Christian, hey, uh, cowboy up, cupcake, or Christian up, cupcake, or our favorite advice, just stop it. Uh, but there is a warning here behind this command uh, of Paul. Anxiety, as Paul means it here, uh, is denying God's providence. And we see the problem with anxiety more fully in the passage that Alan read in Matthew. And we, uh, no doubt Paul has this on his mind as he's preaching in Jesus' discourse on error uh, and anxiety. It is very apparent that it is a breach of faith in God and in his providence. It is to think like a pagan thinks. Matthew Henry comments on this text saying, uh, now in inordinate care or uh, fear of time to come or fear of wanting those supplies spring from disbelief and uh, of the promises of God and the wisdom of goodness of the divine providence. And that is the evil of it. And this verse calls into question one's worldview. Uh, it questions one's metaphysics, meaning uh, in this case, is reality driven by uh, purpose, inevitability, or by chance? And see how our Savior points to the first book of Revelation, the natural world, when he uh, points to the birds. He's pointing, um, he's pointing us to his natural revelation where we can learn something about God. We don't learn about God for the first time by looking around. We already know God, but he is showing us that we have no excuse for unbelief. He says, look at the birds. Just look at the birds. Aren't birds amazing? <clears throat> 19 centuries after this, men will look at a lowly bird and learn how to fly. Amazing. But a bird was pretty low on the list of uh, the agrarian man's uh, choice of animals, right? A horse. Those things are awesome. You can ride it like a wind, uh, plow your field like a John Deere tractor. It will uh, leap a fence. It'll tow a cannon into battle. But a bird, you can't do that with a bird. And Jesus points, though, to the lowly birds, the poor man's sacrifice, and he says, look at those unimpressive birds. They don't have a job. They don't plant crops. They don't fertilize or till the soil. 
They don't harvest, they don't store up in barns grain, but your father feeds every bird every day and has since the beginning of time. The Psalm, Psalm 145, 16 says, you open your hand and you satisfy every living thing. And Jesus repeats this lesson with the flowers of the field, saying that no king or queen was ever adorned like an orchid. And if this is how God uh, clothes the grass of the field, will he not do more for you, O child of little faith? In Job 12, 7 through 10, he says, But ask the beasts, and they will teach you, and the birds of heaven, and they will tell you, or speak to the earth and it will teach you. And the fish of the sea will declare to you, who among all these things does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this? In his hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. Jesus demonstrates from the created order that God is the author and sustainer of life. And Paul reminds his Athenian acquaintances Uh, of this as common knowledge, quoting their own philosophers, saying, for in him we move and have our being, Acts 17, 28. Yet God is not one in the same with his creation. He is not moved or improved by what he has made, but he works in it and with it to do his good pleasure, Philippians 2, 13. And God says through Paul in Romans that it is apparent to all people so that they are without excuse not to be thankful and honor God as God, Romans 1, 18 and 21. And that is the breach of the covenant that all men are born into because he owes God his obedience as the creator to trust him as his workmanship of his hands, so that to be overwhelmed with uh, care, sick with stress, and crippled with fear is to uh, deny God his place in your life. You sinfully act as if God is not who he claims to be. Your attitude claims that God is not in control. And dear Christian, are you anxious over the mundane events of the world or the common uh, troubles that, that uh, grip everyone? Are you facing uncertain times? Is fear gnawing at your mind? Paul exhorts you to be anxious because God is the providential ruler of all things. He says, fear not because God is the creator. God has the right to rule and it is founded upon his power as creator. The creator has the right to govern all things. Uh, whoever would be uh, claim governorship of the world must have omnipotent power and infinite knowledge to govern. And as to God's power, look at the extent of this prohibition. It extends to everything. Be anxious for nothing. And it is not just the big things, but also the small things. To not trust God about the small things is to deny that he has the power to rule every single thing, and yet he has named every star. 
and to uh, not uh, count on him for the big things is to believe that he is too small a God to handle your big deals. Is anything too great for God? God questioned Job and said, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Or who stretched out the line upon it? Or where, what were its bases sunk and who laid its foundations? In Job 38, 4 through 6. God knows all things exhaustively as we uh, read in our London Baptist Confession on the decree of God. And we read in Isaiah 46 that God is God and there is no other. Ephesians 1.11 says, In him we have obta obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to his will. Fear not and look at the love of God and his concern for you. Because of his excellent character, holiness, righteousness, justice, love, and mercy, his governance is without flaw. After our Lord had demonstrated his sovereign and meticulous control over all things, Jesus reminds his people that he is God and they are not God. He says, who among you, by being anxious, can add an hour to his lifespan? God is God, and you and I are not God. And then Jesus moved from the flora and the fauna to man as the image bearer of God. And though you and I are the pinnacle of God's created world, we have no power to keep the hair from <laughs> falling out of our head or will our blood pressure to be low. You can't add one day to the span of your life. Not one more day than God has ordained. And Jesus says, you are worth more than birds. Will, you not, will God not do more for you than he does for the grass, O oh, you of little faith? And dear saint, you may pause and say to yourself, well, Jesus didn't worry because Jesus is God incarnate. But we need to remember that Jesus is fully man as well as fully God. Jesus wept at the death of Lazarus. He uh, knew full well that he was going to raise him from the dead, and yet he wept. And he felt angst and, uh, uh, over uh, fear and, and death because he knew these things better than any man, because he knows all things perfectly. He wept over Jerusalem, knowing that it would be raised to the ground and women and children uh, brutalized and his countrymen disbanded. And he wept in anguish over the cup of wrath that he was about to drink for you and for me, dear Christian. And the judgment of a holy and righteous God fell upon Jesus Christ for all our sins from every peccadillo to premeditated murder uh, for a vast number of fortunate sinners 
all of that wrath burst down upon Jesus Christ with no mercy. Jesus received no mercy when he paid for the sin of his elect. And I pray that I think of that and you think of that when you are tempted to sin in any way. See how great the love of God is for you that he spared not his own son. And we see Paul's example of not to worry and be anxious. Uh, Paul writes these words from prison. He is awaiting acquittal or execution. And he's been abandoned by so many people. And even the occasion of writing this letter was over anxiety. He says, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus with this letter, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my needs, for he has been longing for you and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Philippians 2, 25 and 26. Uh, we all face anxiety and we need to learn how to deal with it. We need to turn to our Father who is in heaven. Stephen Charnock uh, rightly discerns the natural revelation when he says, have not all creatures a natural affection in them to preserve and provide for their own? And hath not God much more who endued all creatures with this disposition? Whosoever has a natural uh, perfection, uh, again, uh, whoever, uh, whatever, whatsoever is a natural perfection in creatures is imminently an infinite perfection in God. And that takes us to our next point, the balm of thankful prayer. He says, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And Paul immediately turns from this seemingly impossible uh, command to prayer, the divine solution. Prayer is speaking to God, and yet we do not give God new information when we pray to him. He knows all things, and God is behind all the things that happen to us. He's behind the cancer. He's behind the tragic divorce. He's behind the life-altering event. And you say, what? God's behind this? Behind disorder, chaos, disease, cruelty? These are all the results of sin. These are all the results of Adam's sin and our guilt in Adam and then our own sins. But God is behind all that occurs Though we are the formal cause of all sin, he has ordained and decreed that it will occur yet without guilt. So we must acknowledge that God is the providential ruler of all things or we won't go to him and truly turn to him by faith with our needs. James says every good gift and perfect gift is from above, coming down 
from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow due to change. We must pray to God believing in the goodness of God. God uses our trials for good. The psalmist said, before I was afflicted, I went astray. Joseph could say to his brothers, you sold me into slavery and you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. So God works all things together for good. Romans 8, 28. In John Gwyn Thomas's book on this letter, he observes that our prayers are not designed to change our circumstances, but they are designed to change us. And you may pray that God changes your circumstances. Paul prayed three times that the affliction that he had would be removed. God may ordain to change your circumstances through your prayer. But the circumstances that Paul prayed about did not change. Our Lord Jesus Christ, anticipating carrying the weight of the sin of the elect on his shoulders, sweated blood. And he prayed, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will but as you will, Matthew 26, 39. Jesus did not waver in faith. He did not doubt God's goodness. He did not sin, but he acknowledged the strain, and he pleaded with the Father in his humanity. And he grew in faith even as he approached the cross. And praise God that he would record that moment for us so that we can look at the author and perfecter of our faith when we go through our light affliction. Uh, we must pray with thanksgiving. Uh, count it all, uh, uh, you know, we must count all of our blessings, as that old saying goes. And we may find that there are so many more good things in our life from God than the bad things that we experience. And when we pray, we acknowledge that God is God. Here again, the words of, of Jesus, your heavenly father knows that you need them all, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Matthew 6, 32 and 33. And in prayer, we see that God uh, omnisciently knows already everything that we need. He knows our material needs, he knows that we need food and clothing and uh, uh, electricity and housing and all those things that we need. And in love, he ordains that we will have these things. And he has ordained that they will happen through secondary causes, which he has meticulously uh, planned out. Just think of all the little causes and effects that had to happen throughout the millennia to end up with you. And then consider that God knows you by name. He knows you intimately. And he has called you and that he has set his love upon you. Dear Christian, can you be troubled long in the face of such love 
in how he's provided for you. The Apostle Paul's desire was that the Ephesians would know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward them, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the Father, Ephesians 1, 19 and 20. And see that this is not brute power, but the strength of God, uh, which is carefully used in a loving purpose in your life. And then answer Mr. Charnock's question, how can any trust him with their mortal souls when they will not trust him with their perishing concerns? Can we believe he has shed his blood for the expiation of our sins, the greatest affair his divine person could undertake if we cannot submit to him for our earthly comforts? We must pray believing in God's love for lost sinners. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And while you and I were rebellious sinners against God, Christ died for us. God says, I sent my son to live and die for you so that you might be reconciled to me. Not only is this amazing power, it is amazing love. And... The Christian can fear not. He can be anxious for nothing, but the unbeliever, he has something to fear. He has denied God is who he is. He has denied him fully. And this text gives a warning to the modern pagan that denies the creator God the way modern science does, uh, which is nothing more than uh, fourth century paganism, Epicureanism, and many spiritual people, and uh, agnostic deists. They are all condemned by this text. The person who says, I think there's a God, but I don't know. I'm, I, you, you can't prove it. Or there are people who, are, who say, well, I, I believe in God, but I don't believe that he has control over all things not the God of the Bible. Well, they are out of touch with reality. Where do you turn when you're faced with an overwhelming flood of difficulties? Those people could turn inward and rely on their strength and ingenuity to resolve and overcome and adapt. Yet if he is honest, he knows that he can't even keep his hair from falling out of his head. He has no control over life. On the one hand, he's offended when he's cut off on the road and gives full vent to his anger, and yet he's surprised that God would demand obedience and love and gratitude. It is a warning to the deist whose God is not powerful enough to do all that he wills, too remote, too impersonal, to care about your good. God's providence uh, precludes the uh, deist and the agnostic who says, I suppose there is a God or something 
Or the spiritual person who says, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. That's one of my favorite ones. Paul, uh, James says that that spirituality is worthless. And if we do not see God as providentially uh, in control over all things, then we've embraced a pagan idea of God as well. Uh, God is not a God far away, unable to hear, uncaring, or detached like the pagan gods. There's no wonder people who deny Christ uh, have no hope. They have a false peace, and God calls them to repent. And God calls you to repent if you have not put all of your faith and trust and, uh, in this loving God through Jesus Christ. God says, call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will answer you, and you will glorify me. Psalm 50, 15. God calls upon each of you to call upon God to trust him, to not trust in your goodness, not seek to be uh, um, prepared to come to Christ, but to come to him immediately. Come as you are with your sin and cast yourself upon the goodness of God and he will save you through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.